Welcome to the Missouri Times Third Read Podcast. I am Caitlin Shellhorn, editor of the Missouri Times. And I am Connor Kerrigan, business manager and um, jack of all at the Missouri Times. Um, so with this podcast, all we're going to be doing is uh, reviewing the week in Moledge, um, talking about what's happened this week with campaigns, what's happened in the state statehouse. Um, and occasionally, we're going to have an outside perspective where we'll have a guest come in and we'll interview them. Um, the most important thing is that each week we're going to be uh, we're going to be doing the podcast over a different cocktail. Uh, so, Caitlin, what are we drinking this week? Yeah, you're right. That is the most important thing. Um, so this week we have a French 75, which is one of my favorite cocktails. That being said, I am a reporter because I am super bad with numbers, so I usually will order a French 45 or 25 or 35. <laughs> um, but it's technically a French 75, and it's. Um, gin and champagne, which are my two favorite things. Yeah, it's a little bit of gin, a little bit of champagne, some simple syrup, uh, and some freshly squeezed lemon juice. Mm -hmm. I used to get lemon juice out of the... Uh, the little lemon, the, the little, fake lemon. Yeah, and then, uh, and then I was learning how to make a cocktail from a guy, and he said, if you're not squeezing your own citrus, you're not a, uh, you're not a cocktail maker, and so... So now you squeeze your own citrus. Now I squeeze my own citrus. <laughs> Great. Well, let's dive in. Cool. So it is officially campaign season and we are off to the races. As of right now, it is the tale of two Eric's who are vying for Senator Roy Blunt's seat. Um, both of these men are Republicans. Both officially announced their campaigns with a Fox News appearance. And both are also really promising to be fighters and touting their connections or defense maybe of the former president, President Donald Trump. So. Yeah, I thought it was a, a big week for Eric's from Missouri on Fox News. Yeah. Um, what did you think of that? I, I was interested in the fact that, you know, Greitens announced on Monday on Fox News and Schmidt did the almost the exact same thing on Wednesday. So I think that there was a little bit of a difference in their announcements if you look at it. Like, yeah, they both were on, on Fox, um, but Eric Schmidt went on Fox and Friends Wednesday morning and really touted one of his lawsuits against the Biden administration of over a climate change policy. So he talked about that first before she was kind of like, you know, made the announcement and said, hey, so you're running for U.S. Senate. And he said, yeah, and went into a little bit of a stump speech, whereas Greitens went on Fox not necessarily to talk about any lawsuit he's joining this week, but to talk about his Senate race in particular. Yeah. Yeah, I just I wonder and, you know, obviously, the only Fox News viewers who are going to be voting in for Senate in Missouri are those from Missouri. Mm. Um, but you wonder about, you know, two, uh, two white guys going on Fox News, both named Eric, both announcing for Senate, and you wonder, you know, is the general viewer going to know the difference? And there's massive differences between these two candidates. Mm -hmm. I mean, one, you know, is a disgraced former governor who had to resign. The other is the current attorney general who is trying to tout his actual work uh, as the attorney general. Yeah, and even though former Governor Greitens was on Fox, it, it wasn't, you know, the easiest of media appearances this week for him. Even on Fox, they really pushed, you know, you, you did resign, you did have these scandals, how do you, how do you address them? And so I, I don't think that, even though this was a few years ago, I don't think that's going away, even on a national level. Yeah, and I mean, uh, and, and you saw the, the Hugh Hewitt interview, I only saw yeah. clips of it. Um, tell me more about it, because I, I know it was disastrous, but I, I didn't see much else. Um, I think it's a good lesson in, uh, in media. I think that 
college professors, journalism professors, should really uh, make their students listen to this interview. I think Hugh Hewitt, who is a conservative commentator, conservative radio host, did a pretty impressive job at pushing back. Um, he called uh, the former governor, Todd Aiken, 2.0, which um, I thought was a little... Was, was interesting for people who remember Todd Aiken. Todd Aiken being the legitimate rape, uh, making the legitimate rape yeah. comments that, that kind of derailed his uh, Yeah, his so that's campaign. still coming up in conversation, I guess. Um, so he also said that, you know, the former governor at one point wasn't overwhelming him with his responses and his answers to his question. He really, you know, tried to make a point that the Republican House, or the Republican General Assembly, rather, was was launching an investigation against him. And one of the things that, that Greitens has made sure to say is that he likes to compare himself to, to former President Trump and how Trump has been maligned in the media or maligned by, by politicians. And just like him, you know, he is fighting back against those people. But Hewitt made an interesting point and an accurate point, which was, you know, Trump really went after the media, but he also went after Democrats and saying Democrats were the ones who wanted to impeach him. Democrats are the ones who wanted to derail his, his tenure as president. Um, but in Missouri, it was a Republican-led General Assembly that wanted to impeach him. It was a Republican-led General Assembly that was launching these investigations. So the, the comparison between Greitens and Trump isn't really that much of a comparison. Yeah, so we know that uh, Eric Schmidt and Eric Greitens have both announced. A lot of people were expecting those two to be some of the first ones out of the right. gate. Um, who are some other folks that are looking at the uh, at Roy Blunt Senate seat? You know, I am pretty interested in seeing if Congressman Smith, Congressman Jason Smith, actually jumps into the race. And I bet former Governor Greitens uh, would also be pretty interested in that. Um, Congressman Smith is a pretty good ally for, for former President Trump. And, you know, sources are kind of saying that we would expect the president to endorse him in, in a primary or, you know, at the very least, a general, should he jump into the race. And so I wonder what a Trump endorsement would look like here in Missouri and what that would do to, you know, a, a campaign for, for greatness. Yeah, I think that definitely um, would shake up uh, any type mm -hmm. of primary that we had. Um, so that's the Republican primary. Obviously, mm -hmm. the Democrats are going to field a candidate. Um, so we've seen uh, s former state senator Scott Sifton has mm -hmm. announced. Yeah, he's um, a Michigan alum, so go blue. <laughs> uh, a uh, former Marine, uh, a, a guy who ran in 2006 for uh, the House of Representatives, his name's Lucas Kuntz, uh, out of Kansas City, has also announced. Yeah. Um, I know that you know you had seen uh, Kuntz's uh, two-minute campaign video. Yeah, it was pretty powerful. Um, I think for being someone I truly did not know that much about before this the Senate race, which is probably my fault, but I think that he has uh, his campaign video has been pretty impressive. I've, I've noticed he's been making the rounds on some some local radio stations lately, and. Um, he's really good at sticking to his his messaging, which is all about the economy and all about you know, uplifting Missourians and, and coming back to his, his former home in Jefferson City and seeing it in disarray or seeing, you know, the community in disarray and how he wants to fix that. And I think that that's a pretty resounding message and I've, I've been pretty impressed by it. Yeah, and I know that uh, in in the video he, he spent almost equal time uh, hitting Josh Hawley as he did yeah. Roy Blunt. Um, and I think I th you're gonna see that a lot in this race. I think it's, it's gonna be, um, 
like many other Senate races, but especially with someone um, like Josh Hawley, especially with uh, what happened over the um, the election certification, I think that this race might not just be a referendum on taking over Senator Blunt's seat, but also a referendum on, on Josh Hawley. Yeah, I think so. And then uh, two other Democrats who haven't announced yet, but we've mm -hmm. got our eye on, um, the first being Senator Brian Williams, mm -hmm. uh, State Senator Brian Williams. Um, he actually, we're going to talk a little bit later about a, a bill that he worked yeah. uh, with uh, Senator Luktemeyer on to get um, through the Senate earlier. Um, he's a dynamic candidate. He's got yeah. good labor relations. Um, I, I think he could make a lot of noise. And then uh, Mayor Quentin Lucas out of Kansas City is, is another potential. I think Mayor Lucas is particularly interesting because he hasn't announced, you know, he put out a, a statement like 30,000 other people did about how they were interested in, you know, praying and talking to their families and and whatnot, but he is already getting play on the national level. Um, you know, in Hugh Hewitt's interview Wednesday morning with Governor Greitens, he mentioned uh, Mayor Lucas as the possible Democratic nominee. So, I think it certainly probably will play into his decision making, knowing that national Republicans at least are looking at him and, and maybe a little bit concerned about him. And he's an affable person, just a you know someone that when you meet you kind of like. So. Yeah. I think you would be a formidable candidate for, for the Democratic Party. Yeah. Uh, well, that's uh, that's the 22 election. Uh, interestingly, <laughs> in Missouri, um, the the folks who said no to the Senate race in 22 got conversation started about the governor's race in 24. Right. Talk about looking ahead. Um, yeah. So Lieutenant Governor Mike Kehoe was first out of the gate this week. On Monday, he announced his intentions to run um, to replace Mike Parson in 2024, which is three years away, but sometimes it feels like it's eight, sometimes it feels like it's tomorrow. So right. he's kind of the first out of the gate, so he's got a little bit of an advantage there, but we do expect um, Secretary of State Jay Oshkroft to probably throw his name in the ring at some point. Yeah, and that would be an interesting primary, mm -hmm. um, but I think right now it's it's hard to discount the, the real power that the Ashcroft name still has in Missouri. Mm -hmm. um, but do you think with Kehoe coming out of the gate first, does that give him a little bit of a leg up or an advantage? Oh, absolutely. I think that was a very uh, strategic move um, because now whenever Ashcroft inevitably announces, mm -hmm. uh, Ashcroft is running against Kehoe and not the other way around. Um, At least for a time until maybe his name puts him back on top. Right, absolutely. Um, but that is, like you said, just about three years away. Yes, which can feel like tomorrow some days. Yeah. Um, so moving over to the State House and, yeah. and looking at the legislature. You mentioned um, Senator Williams earlier. Let's talk about his bill. Yeah. So uh, Senator Williams had a criminal justice reform bill. Um, it, it had quite a few provisions in it, but the thing that I was really impressed by with it was that he had spent about the last eight months uh, working with organizers, working with police officers, working with the, the Fraternal Order of Police, um, police unions, St. Louis, Kansas City, um, bringing everyone to the table to try to, to get support for a bill that he thought could make it through, a police reform bill. Um, one of the signature parts of the bill was uh, a ban on chokeholds. Um, and I think one of, the, one of the most important parts about this was that he had the support of 
those police organizations right. um, to pass this bill. Super now, important. Yeah, he, uh, he tied the bill. Uh, what ended up happening was his bill got tied to Senator Luke DeMeyer's bill um, that would remove the police residency requirement in Kansas City. So in St. Louis, they've already taken away the police residency requirement. Um, and the reason that they want to do that is they say that it'll help with recruitment. Right. Um, so if you don't require police officers to live in the city, if they can live in the suburbs with their family, but come into the city for work, um, there's a better chance of recruiting folks. So um, that came through the Senate. Um, it was debated on the floor uh, Tuesday night of this week, um, and it was ultimately uh, passed out of the Senate. I think there was um, some debate that took some time over mm -hmm. the actual radius of how far away yeah. you could live. Right. Um, and I know Barbara Washington, Senator Barbara Washington was a big, um, she was kind of bringing that one to the mat, and eventually they agreed on 30 miles, I believe? I believe it was 30 miles. They also had discussed, you know, uh, whether the officer should live in Missouri or if they could live over on the, the Kansas side of, of Kansas City as well. So there was a lot of um, uh, map drawing going on in the Senate this week. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think it was about four hours of debate on yeah. Tuesday night that, that finally got it passed. But I think it was one of the um, more impassioned speeches on from anyone who stood up on the floor on either side of the issue that we've seen um, this year so far. Yeah. Yeah, and it's just, I mean, it's impressive to see a Democrat get something passed uh, out of either of the chambers. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's a supermajority uh, in both the upper and lower chambers in that state house, and, and seeing something that uh, a, a bunch of different groups with a bunch of different um, incentives can agree to mm -hmm. um, was, was really great to see. I think it's a testament of how hard Senator Williams has really worked on this. Um, it's, it's really clear that it's a passion project for him. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think it's a testament to, to the, the amount of hours and time and, and everything that he's put into it. But it was certainly smart of him to, to attach it also to a Republican bill. Yeah, yeah, that was definitely smart. Uh, now let's talk about another piece of legislation. Um, mm -hmm. It already passed through the House. It's being heard. It was heard in a Senate committee this week. Um, Phil Christofinelli's uh, ESA bill. Right. ESAs being education savings accounts. Um, essentially, they establish a program where Missourians can get a tax credit for contributing to these accounts, which helps students pay for supplies, private school tuition, right. those type of things. Um, now, it's no secret that education reform is a hot button issue in the Missouri State House. Right. It comes up every year. Um, every year, it's contentious. Uh, yeah. And you know, I've got to say, uh, sorry to interrupt you, I just, I, I say this all the time, that it really surprises me, um, having grown up in Missouri, but leaving Missouri and going to college in South Carolina and then doing most of my reporting on the national level in D.C. and New York, um, I am used to Republicans loving charter schools and loving education reform, and then coming back to Missouri, it truly was a shock that it was such a contentious issue among, among Republicans. Um, I did not know that that was a thing. I remember my very first day being over in the Senate and hearing um, one senator stand up on the floor and just deride charters and, and really tout public schools. And I wrote down on my notes, this senator Democrat. Um, and then when I was writing my story, going back on the Senate website just to make sure I spelled this person's name right because I was not yet familiar with who the senators were and being super surprised they were a Republican. So. I love that this is such a contentious issue, and it's not just a Republican-Democrat issue. It's truly something that everyone is 
haggling with. Yeah, it's 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 rural versus urban, right? Yeah. Um, the rural superintendents uh, get to those Republicans early on, and, and right. you know, invite them to the football game, and oh look how look how effective our public schools are. Do love football. That is, if you ever <laughs> need to bribe me with something, take me to a Michigan game. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but that, that was the thing. So you brought yeah. up charters. Um, you know, Chris Finelli's bill didn't deal with charters. The bill that does deal with charters is Senator Cindy O'Loughlin's SB 55. Right. Uh, Senator O'Loughlin being the chair of the Education Committee. Yeah. Um, SB 55 is this big omnibus education reform bill, the most contentious part of it being charter schools. Right. Um, and looking at the difference between these two bills, um, you know, Chris Finelli's bill passed through the House is now being heard in the Senate. Um, O'Loughlin's bill is stalled in the Senate right now. Right. Um, it really stalled. Um, she was out sick for, for a little while. Um, and that kind of kind of put the pause um, on, her, on her bill there. But one thing that I've noticed, and even though her bill doesn't seem to be moving right now, um, you know, we're not hearing it as we speak, I am super interested and impressed by the amount of traveling and meetings that she has taken, even while feeling under the weather. Um, yeah, you know, with, with superintendents, with school activists, with charter people, um, she is really when she's not in the Senate because she has to be voting on something. She's really like taking those meetings, and I, I think that that's you know, regardless of what you think about charters or or her bill, I think that that's a sign of a good lawmaker by just going out and, and talking to people as oh, much yeah. as she has. I don't think, I don't think uh, no matter where you're at on the subject, uh, I don't think you can say that uh, Senator Laughlin isn't hustling to get this figured out. No. So like, while it might not be going anywhere right now in the right. Senate, she's going places. <laughs> right. And I think that that is the real, um, that's the real strategic difference. Um, Chris Finelli's bill mm -hmm. is focused on one thing, just the right. ESAs. Um, O'Loughlin's bill is sweeping. It's got a whole bunch of different reforms in it. Now, it's massive. Yeah, you can say that that leaves a lot of room for negotiation, um, but that negotiation has kind of left education reform high and dry. So it seems like um, if you're an education reformer in the state house, you've got two paths that you can take right now. Um, the first being if, if the Senate passes Christopher bill clean out of the Senate without mm -hmm. any additional amendments, it is going to get to the governor's desk, right? Uh, if they Theoretically. Hand, right. right. <laughs> it's the House, so you right. never know. What, well, that's but, yeah. a, but the House, you know, that's the thing is the House had already passed it, so if the Senate doesn't touch it, that's fair. it doesn't yeah. have to go back to committee. Right. Now, if, if the Senate do. hangs a bunch of amendments on the thing and it's got to go back to the House, Christopher is about to have a very hard time getting that passed because the bill got 82 votes, which is the required minimum. He has been super adamant. I don't think it's any secret that it's his bill and he wants it clean. And if it comes back with any sort of tweak, he might not be supportive of his own legislation. Yeah. And um, one of the big reasons that it did get passed in the House and got that narrow 82 votes is because uh, Speaker of the House, Rob Biscovo, stood in the back of that chamber and shouted at everyone <laughs> uh, about how, how they need to be thinking about the kids. Um, it's, it's always about the kids. Yeah, it was, you know, what we're seeing is that just to get this one piece of narrow education reform passed, it took a whole bunch of political capital. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think what the Senate needs to do is pass, uh, if, if you're an education reformer, right? Mm -hmm. um, what you want to do is pass Chris Finelli's bill clean um, and then start to 
work on O'Loughlin's bill, mm -hmm. but maybe it's not a bad idea to break that bill into separate parts. I think too, when you have a bill that big, there's just so much greater room for error. You know, we've seen in past years, the, the General Assembly pass out a massive package and then the next year they have to come back and fix something. Mm -hmm. and sometimes it doesn't. And that means it derails the entire thing that they just spent all this time working on. Um, it, and it also, you know, we've already seen mistakes with it. Uh, there were some procedural mistakes made during an early, um, albeit overnight debate for this bill before spring break. And, and they had to kind of come back and, and fix, fix what they had done there. Um, so I think, you know, if they do go forge, forge ahead with that bill or forge ahead with a, with a compromised version, but it's still a big package of that bill, I think, um, senators are going to be cognizant of, of, of that. And I don't think that it's lost on, on Senator Majority Floor Leader Caleb Rowden too. He's a pretty cautious person and a very smart, smart senator. But, um, I do think that they'll be looking at that to make sure that they don't make another misstep. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so after the break, uh, I know you're going to talk with Gabby Orr, national correspondent over at Politico. Tell me a little bit about the interview. Yeah, one of the visions I had for this podcast was to every once in a while have an outside perspective segment where we talk to someone who maybe doesn't live in Missouri or isn't from Missouri, but is still somehow involved with Missouri politics and kind of get another look at how Missouri looks on a national stage. So. Our first outside perspectives guest is Gabby Orr. She is uh, she covers the post-Trump GOP for Politico. She followed Trump on the campaign trail and then was also a White House correspondent where she covered him. And she also just happens to be my best one of my best friends. So I am really excited to to get to have her on this week. Awesome. But first, I just want to make sure everyone knows that they are invited to our annual Statesman of the Year event coming up on Tuesday, March 30th. It's going to be held at the Millbottom. We are honoring Senator Dave Schatz as our Statesman of the Year this year. Yeah, and that's going to be at uh, 6 o'clock on Tuesday. Yep, there'll be food, drinks, and fun. Yeah, absolutely. We are joined today by special guest Gabby Orr, a national political correspondent for Politico covering the post-Trump GOP. She previously covered the White House for Politico after following former President Trump around the country on the campaign trail for the Washington Examiner. With Gabby's insider knowledge of the Republican Party, particularly on the national level, we are so honored to have her as our inaugural guest on the Third Read podcast. Gabby, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Great. So I just want to jump right in. Um, when Senator Roy Blunt announced earlier this month that he wasn't going to run for re-election in 2022, what was the response there in Washington, D.C. like? Well, I think a lot of people were surprised because there are so many other vulnerable Republicans who are facing re-election in 2022 that the Senate map to begin with for the Republican Party was already not looking great. And, you know, you throw a fairly uh, safe seat into the mix on top of all of that, and it was just kind of a headache that um, a lot of Republican leaders weren't expecting. And, you know, as we've seen just in the past couple of weeks, as the kind of jockeying has started for this uh, GOP primary and for this open Senate seat, um, it, it's it's really going to be a, a tough race for whatever Republicans decide to throw their hat in the ring because um, there's just so many factions at play here. 
Yeah, and especially in this post-Trump GOP world, what kind of Republican are, is the national GOP really looking for here in Missouri? Who do they think could could survive maybe a primary and also a general and represent Missouri well in DC? Well, it's a great question because I think what's important to remember is that this race is gonna take place against the backdrop of what happened with Senator Josh Hawley um, just a couple of months ago. You know, he was kind of seen as this rising star in the Republican party. He had a lot of clout in, in Trump world and um, had really kind of cozied up to the former president and to his allies and um, in some ways was, was floated behind the scenes as being a potential successor to, to Trump once he left office. And then, of course, he decided to uh, vote against certification of the 2020 election results on January 6th and the blowback against him in Missouri um, among his mentors, among many Republican donors. It was just astounding to see. And I think that really raised a lot of questions about, you know, where Missouri Republicans are and who they want representing them in the U.S. Senate. Do they want somebody who's going to be kind of the torchbearer for uh, Trumpism moving forward? And if that is the case, you know, Mo Brooks, um, who just announced on Monday night that he will be running for this Senate seat, uh, could very well fit into that position. Um, or do they want somebody who's maybe not as moderate as some of the other Republicans in the Senate are, but is definitely, you know, less inclined to kind of go the Trump way and, and will be more independent and bipartisan. Um, and so, you know, I do think there's a lot of questions there. And then you have Eric Grayton, who I have to mention because he's just such an interesting figure um, to, you know, have running in this, in this Senate race. He's kind of spent the last couple of years trying to rehab his reputation um, after, you know, the scandals that he dealt with. And it, it's, it's interesting to see kind of which Trump allies are getting behind him and which are follow, falling into uh, Mo Brooks's camp. And, um, you know, there's even some talk of Congressman Jason Smith potentially throwing his hat in the ring. Um, my sources in Trump world told me that the former president spoke with Congressman Smith pretty recently to discuss his interests in the race. So there's so many different um, candidates that could become a part of this. Uh, you also have uh, Linda Blanchard, the former ambassador to Slovenia under the Trump administration. Um, so it's, it's a bunch of Trump kind of aligned characters and it's almost like which, to which degree of the former president do you want in your, in your senator if you're a Missouri Republican? Do you want a diehard Trumper? Do you want kind of Trump light? Um, a diet Trumper, <laughs> as I like to call them. It's just, it's, it's a big question for Missouri Republicans. You mentioned Mo Brooks and Linda Blanchard, candidates for Senate in Alabama. It will be interesting to see how that race compares to the one that we've got here. Uh, and I would be remiss if I didn't bring up some great reporting that you've done um, this week or recently on uh, what a Trump endorsement means and how to garner it or how to lose it. So if you know, right now, at this point, we've got former Governor Greitens, and we've got Attorney General Eric Schmidt, both of whom are Eric's, but both of whom are also really touting their commitment to, to the former president and advancing his agenda. What do they need to do if they want to get his endorsement? Or what do they need to do not to lose their endorsement or his endorsement? Yeah, well, right now, it's all about who you know in Trump world and whether you have a pre-existing relationship with 
the former president. And for somebody like Jason Smith, you know, he meets at least two of those criteria, which is um, he was deeply involved in uh, both the 2016 and 2020 campaign for, for former President Trump. I believe he was the state chairman um, of both of his Missouri campaigns. Um, he has a line into Trump world. He's uh, fairly close with some of the president's advisors, which is basically how he got that uh, Trump phone call in the first place. Um, Linda Blanchard is another good example of this. I mean, she served in the Trump administration, but she's uh, been out there kind of overstating how truly close she is with the former president. And that's kind of a big no-no for, for Donald Trump. Um, my colleague Meredith and McGrath and I had a story last week that kind of talked about this, which is, you know, as you mentioned, one of the, the quickest ways to lose the possibility of getting Trump's endorsement is to... Um, to frustrate him or to aggravate him. And one thing that he is notoriously uh, you know, critical of is people using his name to profit for themselves or trying to piggyback off of his success. And she's, uh, she and her team have definitely been kind of overselling just how close Trump and, and Blanchard are. And that got back to the former president. And now she's kind of in jeopardy of uh, even being in the running for a Trump endorsement in this Senate race. Um, but yeah, I mean, I would just emphasize, emphasize that, you know, there, there's, it's really about who you know right now and how close you are um, to the former president. I've just heard so many stories of different candidates in, you know, not, not just in the Missouri Senate race, but outside of Missouri and all these primaries that are trying to get uh, a meeting with the former president trying to get his endorsement because they realize how critical that is. It's it's really the most coveted thing in Republican politics right now. And they don't have his personal cell phone number. They don't really know kind of who's down at Mar-a-Lago or how to get in contact with them. And so it's nearly impossible at this point in his ex-presidency to uh, to kind of get a hold of him and, and get at the door. Yeah. And that, that kind of brings me to the next point, which is just that you mentioned um, that other candidate who kept touting her closeness to, to the former president and maybe overstated that a little bit. I am noticing that the former governor, former governor Greitens is really harping on, on his connection to Trump and, you know, on Trump's agenda and how close he is to the former president. But with Attorney General Schmidt, um, he's really going off of his record and going off of his record of, you know, defending the president after he lost the, the election this past year and going after the fledgling Biden, Biden administration from, for some of the policies that he um, has put in place thus far in office. Do you think that's going to resonate with the former president a little bit better? Um, not necessarily saying he's super close to him and they're best friends, but here's my record of, of from Missouri defending you. I definitely think that if you have tangible examples of your loyalty to Donald Trump, it helps um, in a contest like this. Uh, you know, he likes to say, and, and one of the lines that he frequently used on the campaign trail when he would complain about politicians is that they're all talk and no action. And that phrase kind of applies here. It's one thing to say that you're a friend of the former president, that you're uh, you know, super tight with his circle and you've gotten to know him well and he views you as a, a strong ally um, for the Trump movement. It's another thing to be able to point to specific uh, 
um, you know, votes that you may or may not have made um, and, and a record to say, I am indeed, you know, an, an ally of Donald Trump, but here's also my record that backs me up in saying that. So, yeah, I definitely think that that's something that will have um, resonance with Missouri voters. Um, but again, I think the big question here is, you know, what are Republicans in the state of Missouri looking for in um, their representatives in the U.S. Senate? Are they looking for another Josh Hawley or are they looking for something a little bit different? And if that is the case, then cozying up to Donald Trump and, you know, kind of overstating how close you are to him and how much you'll be a defender of his America first agenda in office um, could actually backfire on some of these candidates. Yeah, well, Gabby, thank you so much for joining us on our first podcast. You are an incredible reporter there at Politico, um, and you're also one of my best friends. So thank you so much for joining us today. (laughs) Thanks so much for having me, Caitlin. Bye. That's all for this week. Be sure to follow us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and follow me on Twitter at K underscore Shellhorn. That's S-C-H-A-L-L-H-O-R-N. And follow me at Connor Kerrigan. That's Connor with two N's and an E, K-E-R-R-I-G-A-N. See you next week. Cheers. Cheers.